Bill Farley was a pastor for many years in Spokane. He published several books, including one on humility in 2011. And he wrote about his experience when he received the first copy. He said, every author knows the joy of holding that first copy of their new book. It's not quite the same as holding your first baby at birth, but it's thrilling. In 2011, I had just received my first copy of Gospel-Powered Humility. It had been a lot of work. I was excited, so I called my editor, expressed my joy, and ended the conversation saying I hoped it would sell. His editor replied, Bill, I don't want you to get too excited. This book will probably sell very slowly. How come? He asked. People buy books based on felt need, he said. You have written a good book, and we published it because we believe in it. But nobody has a felt need for humility. <laughs> Everyone already thinks they are humble. Perhaps the biggest challenge of preaching a sermon on humility is that even though we wouldn't say it out loud, somewhere deep down we believe we are already humble. Well, this morning I hope that every one of us will be open to the possibility that we need to better understand humility and that we have much room to grow in the area of humility. This morning we are concluding our sermon series on the book of Proverbs. We began four months ago by preaching 10 expositional sermons through the first nine chapters of the book. Then we began tackling the most significant themes found in the remaining 22 chapters of Proverbs. Our themes included words, work, justice and politics, parenting, marriage, eternity, and friendship. Proverbs has many wise and memorable sayings on these subjects, but is distinct from other ancient Near East wisdom literature in that it is rooted in the fear and knowledge of Yahweh, the one true living God. One of the important things we have seen in Proverbs is that we not only learn how to live a wise and righteous life, but we also learn about the character and nature of the Lord. After all, the righteous life we are called to live is meant to reflect His righteousness. The Lord is righteous and just, and His wisdom leads us to turn from evil and pursue righteousness and justice according to His word in all areas of our lives. The Lord teaches us through proverbial sayings so that we will reflect, meditate, remember, and apply his words. Douglas O'Donnell writes, A proverb is a catchy, concise couplet that clearly captures a crucial concept. Said without alliteration and thus more accurate but less memorable, a proverb is a saying that summarizes succinctly an important issue of life using specific concrete images, memorable words, and poetic structures 
that offers simple but profound practical wisdom or something like that. <laughs> Leland Riken says, a proverb is a concise, memorable statement of a general truth. A proverb is an insight into the repeatable situations of life, and its aim is to make an insight permanent by expressing it in a short, memorable saying. What we see in Scripture is that not only is the book of Proverbs a wonderful and powerful book in the Bible, but the genre of Proverbs is used powerfully throughout Scripture. O'Donnell points out a few examples, including Numbers chapter 32. In Numbers chapter 32, the people of Israel were preparing to begin their conquest of the land, in, the land of Canaan, the land the Lord promised to give them. The tribes of Reuben and Gad had decided to settle on the other side of the Jordan River, but Moses instructed them that they needed to go along with the other tribes in the conquest. They needed to participate in this work the Lord called the people of Israel to do. And then Moses warned them regarding the dangers of disobedience. In Numbers 32, 23, he said, But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. It's a short, memorable saying. Be sure your sin will find you out. A short, memorable way to impress upon them the need to obey the commands of the Lord. In Mark chapter 12, verse 17, Jesus was asked about paying taxes. And he responded, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. If you've read that, you probably remember that. I probably could have asked you, what did Jesus say? And you probably could have said that or something very close to that. A short, memorable saying, impressing upon us, we're supposed to pay our taxes. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, Paul wrote, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. You reap what you sow. A short, memorable saying. Impressing on us the need to live our lives in a way that is faithful to the Lord, to faithfully steward all that he has given us. I hope we'll remember many of the Proverbs we have read and the things we have learned over the past four months. I also hope this sermon series will serve to help us better read and study the Bible as we see God's purpose in using a variety of genres of literature to reveal himself and impress the truth on our hearts and minds. With these things in mind, we turn to humility. I think humility is a good theme for us to conclude our series on Proverbs. The reason I think this is because humility is not only addressed directly and repeatedly in the book, but also seems to undergird the whole book. I would go so far as to say, if you are not humble, Proverbs will be of no value to you. Wisdom and humility are inextricably linked. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2, we read, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. 
Wisdom is with the humble. I want to consider three reasons why wisdom is with the humble before we consider the Lord's disposition toward the proud and the humble. The first reason that wisdom is with the humble is the humble learn. I think a good place to begin when considering humility is Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5, where we read, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Proverbs is for the young, for the simple, for the foolish, and for those who lack understanding. But we also see that Proverbs is for the wise and for those who do not understand, or do understand. The wise person rightly recognizes that he or she has much to learn and is still in need of guidance regardless of how much they have learned thus far. Humility creates a disposition toward learning that says, I need to learn more. I want to learn more. And I'm willing to learn from others, even if I'm older than them, more educated than them, more experienced than them, or whatever. In Proverbs chapter 9, verse 9, we read, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. So you see, wisdom manifests itself in teachability. And you will only be teachable if you are humble. When you are humble, you are free from the desire to impress people with how much you know, how smart you are, or what you have accomplished. Instead, you are able to give your attention and energy to listening and learning from others. Is it more important to you to express your opinion or to listen to others? Is it more important to you that people see you as smart or to learn? In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote, Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. People have paraphrased what Lewis wrote here by saying humility is not thinking less of yourself but thinking about yourself less. When you're humble, your focus will not be on yourself but will be on others. And thus you're able to learn from others. And when you're humble, you also make time to read Scripture and expect to be instructed when you do. We will never plumb the depths of Scripture. We can go, keep going back to that well of knowledge and wisdom, and that well will never run 
dry. We will never go to Scripture and stop finding things that help us grow in our faith, that increase our knowledge of the Lord, that help us turn from sin. The Lord has so much to show you in Scripture. And brothers and sisters, we've barely scratched the surface. No matter how many times you've read the Bible, you have so much more to learn and to gain from going to the Lord in His Word. We will gain more wisdom. We will receive instruction. We will gain more knowledge. And most importantly, we will know the Lord as we have the humility to slow down and read the Word. How well do you listen and hear? How eagerly do you learn and seek understanding? How willingly do you take the posture of one who has much to learn? Wisdom is with the humble because the humble learn. The second thing we see is that the humble receive correction. Humility is a great idea. It sounds so good. We want to be humble. We want the people we spend time with to be humble. We love and embrace humility until we are put to the test, until the rubber meets the road. And there are a few tests of our humility that are more challenging than when we are on the receiving end of correction. How well do you respond to correction? How well do you respond when a coworker corrects you, a boss corrects you, a friend, a brother or sister in Christ, a parent, spouse? How well do you respond to correction? Do you receive it gladly as a gift from the Lord? Or do you put up your defenses? In chapter 9, verse 8, we read, Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Isn't that interesting? The implication there is that even a wise man is in need of correction. Another important way wisdom manifests itself is in the ability to receive correction with humility. We are wise to receive correction with humility because we are all sinful. We all have blind spots. We all have perspectives, attitudes, desires, tendencies, and so on that are not good. You are not an exception. Because we all have these areas of our lives that are not good, correction is a good thing. Think about it. We are all sinners who on this side of heaven continue to sin. We also know from Romans 8, 29 that God's will for each of us is to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. Conforming to the image of Jesus involves turning away from sin. To turn from sin, we need discipline and correction. Therefore, correction is a necessary and helpful tool for the Lord to accomplish his purpose for us. Therefore, a wise man will love you when you reprove him. 
the pain of correction is nothing compared to the joy of becoming more like Jesus. We will have moments when we must choose between protecting our ego or becoming more like Jesus. It will be one or the other. What is more important to you? Protecting your ego or becoming more like Jesus? Sometimes correction will feel like loving correction, but sometimes it will just feel like criticism. Nevertheless, the question is what will lie behind your response? Will it be pride or will it be humility? Joel Beakey writes, pride will either lead us to become defensive or devastated in the face of criticism. In many cases, it will lead us to be both simultaneously. But one thing pride will not allow us to do is receive criticism rightly. Brothers and sisters, we must put to death our pride through the power of the Holy Spirit who is in us. We all need to recognize the temptation and tendency to view ourselves more favorably than we should, to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, and to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt when we shouldn't. We all have what Paul Tripp refers to as our inner lawyer. Our inner lawyer rises to our defense inside of us when someone criticizes, when someone corrects, when someone points out our sin or failure. Our inner lawyer rises up inside of us to defend ourselves, to justify ourselves, or to point fingers at the person who's correcting us. We all have this inner lawyer inside of us who wants to quickly rise to our defense. And our inner lawyers are fueled by pride. We must put our inner lawyers to death through the Spirit as we pursue humility. When we see these things and work to put pride to death, and truly desire to become more like Jesus, we embrace correction as God's grace. You need correction. I need correction. We all need correction. And we are wise to embrace correction. The third thing we see is that the humble do not lean on their own understanding. The temptation to lean on your own understanding comes in many forms. Perhaps you are tempted to lean on your own understanding because of your life experiences and observations. Perhaps you are tempted to lean on your own understanding because of your education. Perhaps you are tempted to lean on your own understanding because of your ability to think reasonably and rationally. Perhaps you're tempted to lean on your own understanding because of all the books you read or podcasts you listen to. Whatever the case, we will all be tempted to lean on our own understanding. 
But Proverbs points us in a decidedly different direction. In chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, we read, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. I love the imagery used in this passage. Do not lean on your own understanding. When you lean on something, you trust that it will hold you up. Have you ever seen someone lean on something that failed to hold them up? It's the kind of stuff that America's Funniest Videos are made of. Maybe it's you. Maybe you've leaned on something or tried to sit on something that didn't hold you up and you took a spill. It does not feel good. You don't want to lean on something that can't hold you up. The point here in Proverbs is that you should not lean on your own understanding, meaning you should not trust the thoughts, ideas, or conclusions you come to on your own. The point is not that we don't use reason, rational thinking, or logic, or that our life experiences and education are not valuable. But when our reasoning or understanding comes into conflict with God's word, we have a choice to make. What are we going to lean on? Whom are we going to trust? Are we going to trust our experiences, our feelings, our intellect? Or are we going to take all those things and submit them to the Lord? Are you going to trust in the Lord with all your heart, with the entirety of your being? Brothers and sisters, this kind of trust manifests itself most clearly through confidence in and submission to God's word. God's word will challenge you, stretch you, convict you of your sin, and lead you to take steps of faith that don't make sense in the eyes of the world. His word will lead you to believe unpopular truths, make costly sacrifices, and steward your time, money, and resources for his purposes, not your selfish desires. Not only will God's word challenge your own understanding, but will also contradict the commonly held beliefs and convictions of the world around us. Believing in God's word, trusting in God's word, and obeying God's word will seem foolish in the eyes of many. We may have our own doubts about his word. Is this really true? Did God really mean this? Do I have to believe this? We may also be criticized, insulted, and ridiculed by others for believing and obeying his word. When that happens, will we lean on our own understanding or will we trust in the Lord with all our hearts? I do think it is important to understand that humility does not mean we have no certainty. Sometimes uncertainty is associated with humility as if it is humble to say that I don't really know if these things we believe are true. But that is not humility. Bible scholar Michael Kruger explains Christians believe 
that God has revealed himself clearly in his word. Thus, when it comes to key historical questions, who was Jesus? What did he say? What did he do? Or key theological questions, who is God? What is heaven? How does one get there? Christians believe that they have a basis on which they can claim certainty. God's revelation. Indeed, to claim we don't know the truth about such matters would be to deny God and to deny his word. This doesn't mean, of course, that Christians are certain about everything, but there can be certainty about these basic Christian truths. Thus, for Christians, humility and uncertainty are not synonymous. One can be certain and humble at the same time. How? For this simple reason. Christians believe that they understand truth only because God has revealed it to them. In other words, Christians are humble because their understanding of truth is not based on their own intelligence, their own research, or their own acumen. Rather, it is 100% dependent on the grace of God. Christian knowledge is dependent knowledge, and that leads to humility. This obviously doesn't mean all Christians are personally humble, but it does mean they should be and have adequate grounds to be. We can be certain about the truth because God has revealed the truth. It's not truth that we have come to on our own. It's not what we have figured out. It's not what we have discovered. It is what God has revealed to us. And therefore, it is not humble to say, well, I'm not certain about what God has revealed, what God has made clear. Rather, the humble posture is to say, God has revealed this. God has made it clear. Therefore, I believe, I receive, I submit myself to what God has made known. So humility means that we do not lean on our own understanding. Humility, which leads us to not lean on our own understanding, also involves listening to others. In chapter 12, verse 15, we read, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Being right in your own eyes is the opposite of trusting in the Lord and being confident in his word. Being right in your own eyes is placing your confidence in your opinions, judgments, and decisions. The Lord gives us the church family to help guard against this. The wise man or woman listens to advice, listens to the perspective of others, and receives counsel and correction. It is so sad when a brother or sister in the Lord becomes so convinced that they are right, that they don't listen to advice or only listen to people whom they know will tell them what they want to hear. We need to have the humility to listen to advice, even when it's not what we want to hear, rather than lean on our own understanding. Proverbs teaches us that wisdom is with the humble. Wisdom is with the humble because the humble learn. Receive correction and do not lean on their own understanding. Does that describe you? 
Finally, we needed to consider what Proverbs teaches us about the Lord's disposition toward the proud and the humble. It is no surprise that in Proverbs, we see that the Lord opposes the proud and rewards the humble. Consider these five passages. Chapter 3, verse 34. Toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. 1525. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. 16.5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. 16.18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. 18.12, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. The Lord hates pride, and he is against the proud. An arrogant heart is an abomination to him. Pride will lead to destruction because even if no one else sees your pride, the Lord sees. Whatever we stand to gain by protecting our egos, whatever we stand to gain by proving we are right or that we've done things the right way, Whatever we stand to gain by seeking the praise of man is not worth facing the Lord's opposition. When we rightly fear the Lord, we will hate pride and seek to root it out of our hearts. And we do need to be intentional about this because the heart is deceitful and pride is subtle. The heart is deceitful we can be deceived. Every single one of us is susceptible to being deceived. And pride is subtle. Pride creeps in when we don't expect it. And it's hard to detect in our own hearts. And so we need to be intentional to root out pride. We want to take the Lord's side against our pride. And we will welcome opportunities to grow in humility. I told someone within the last couple weeks that I was going to be preaching a sermon on humility, and he said, watch out. Meaning, if you're going to preach on humility, expect the Lord to humble you. There was some truth in that. Growth in humility usually comes in painful ways, but it is good. We know that it is good because humility comes before honor and the Lord favors the humble. Therefore, if humility comes in painful ways, so be it. If humility comes by you, by your sins, by your failures, by your inadequacies being exposed, so be it. We will know that we are growing in wisdom when we can thank the Lord for painful opportunities to grow in humility. We will embrace this when we know in our hearts that the Lord opposes the proud and rewards the humble. One of the important things we need to remember from our study of Proverbs is that the wisdom of the Old Testament points to and finds fulfillment 
in Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, Christ is referred to as the wisdom of God. When we read Proverbs, our thoughts should go to Christ. And of course, this is true when we think of humility. Jesus provides the greatest and most profound example of humility. We will never come close to humbling ourselves to the extent that Christ humbled himself for us. As followers of Jesus, we too want to be characterized by humility. And our pursuit of humility is ultimately motivated and empowered by Jesus. At one point in his ministry, Jesus was approached by James and John who were seeking positions of honor for themselves. They said to Jesus, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Not their best moment. How would you like to have one of your worst, most embarrassing moments recorded in scriptures for every generation on every continent to see for all time? Pride comes before the fall. They asked for a position of power and honor. They wanted to use Jesus to bring attention to themselves to receive the praise of man. Listen to what happened next in Mark chapter 10, verses 41 through 45. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus contrasted worldly rulers with those who are his followers. Worldly rulers. Rulers love having authority, and they lord it over those underneath them. And Jesus said, this is not to be the case with you. As my followers, rather than trying to lord any authority over people, you are actually to humble yourself by taking the role of a servant. That would have been a tough pill to swallow for his disciples. See, we know that Humbling yourself and, and becoming a servant is a commendable thing now. We, we've, we know that. We recognize that. But in that time, that would have been a painful pill to swallow. They would not have seen the, the, the value of that. They would not have seen the benefit of that. Taking the role of a servant, meaning take a position where people will look down on you. Well, where people will think less of you. Actively pursue a role where you lower yourself below others so that you can serve them. Be willing to be seen as inferior in the eyes of others. Don't try to elevate yourself. 
Try to lower yourself. If you're my follower, he says, lower yourself. Let people look down on you. Let them despise you. Let them do this to serve. Why? Because Jesus came to humble himself and serve. Jesus was despised for our sake. Jesus was ridiculed for our sake. Jesus was mocked for our sake. Jesus was rejected for our sake. Jesus was tortured for our sake. Jesus was crucified for our sake. He was put to death in the most shameful, humiliating, awful, painful way the Roman Empire could conceive of. For our sake. Jesus, the Son of Man, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who deserves glory, who deserves honor, who deserves praise, the one who deserves these things was willing to lower himself to take the role of a servant, to be despised, to serve us, to save us. Now he calls us to follow in his steps to humbly serve others. We will never outdo him in humility. We will never outdo him in service. But by grace, through his spirit at work in us, we can pursue humility together. We can pursue humility together in a way that honors Christ in a way that's a blessing to those around us, in a way that displays the beauty and the power of the gospel. Friend, if you don't know Christ, he is the savior of the world who was willing to humble himself, come into the world to save dirty, rotten sinners like all of us. He did so by dying on the cross to take the punishment we deserve for our sins, and we are all guilty of sinning against the Lord. We all deserve judgment. We all deserve punishment. But Christ came into the world to take that punishment for his people at the cross. And Christ beckons you, come to me. If you are not a Christian, go to Christ. Go to him. Believe in him. Be saved. For those of us who have been united to Christ, who have been saved by grace through faith, who are now in Christ Jesus. We are called to walk in Christ Jesus. Walk in his humility as we seek to serve others for their good and his glory. Brothers and sisters, may God grant us the wisdom we need to walk in humility for the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you. You are worthy of all praise. We praise you for Christ Jesus, who humbled himself, coming into the world, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He was despised, ridiculed, rejected, tortured, and killed for our sake. 
We pray that we will never stop being amazed by the glory of the gospel, what Christ has done for us, the lengths he has gone to save us. We pray that you would grant it to us to grow in wisdom, to pursue humility, to serve others for their good and your glory. We pray that we will be a community of believers who grow in humility together. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.